0: And the thing about venous freeze that was really important about the venous concept was the patient comes back, there's always touch-ups. It's not a one and done. Whereas with plastic surgery, um, you're doing a breast augmentation, you're probably not seeing that patient for another 10 years. So I saw this need for kind of a membership. I was like, why couldn't it be like a gym where I go in, I get my thing, I come back, I pay a monthly fee. Instead of getting whacked with $1,000 every four months or three months, break it up into payments, it makes a lot more sense for the consumer. So I started Skin Body Soul and it was a membership based medical spa that was built around collective buying power and breaking up the payments into the granular allowing a lower cost monthly for the patients. And that's really what we created and and we grew really quickly.
1: You're listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, Host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Could you run your med spa from a thousand miles away? That's exactly what Brandon Robinson does. He's founder and part owner of Skin Body Soul Med Spa, a highly successful chain with four locations in Iowa and Minnesota and a very popular membership model. But Brandon himself doesn't live in Iowa, Minnesota. He lives in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, more than half a continent away. Another reason he's an unusual med spa owner, he's not medical at all. He's an entrepreneur with interests in lots of different industries. Together with his wife, Jennifer, he's founder of LOMS Investments, a real estate investment and holding company. And most recently, they founded Tipsy Pot, an indoor mini pot golf pub chain operating under the name Flatstick Pub with locations in Sacramento and Lake Tahoe, California. So, how has this businessman managed to grow his med spa chain so successfully from a distance? And what lessons has he brought from his other business interests to his med spas? Let's dive in. Brandon, it's great to have you on How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Wonderful to be here.
1: Fantastic. Now, there's one line on your bio, which was very, which you sent through to me, which was very, very unusual and which really caught my eye. You live in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, which is a thousand miles away from your three main aesthetic clinics. So first of all, how did that happen?
0: Uh, Well, that's a great story for, uh, (laughs) so Skin Body Soul Medical Spa was actually started, the very first location was in West Des Moines, Iowa, and I at the time was living in Sacramento, California, over a thousand miles distance between the locations. Uh, A business mentor of mine many years ago had told me that the best way to own and scale a business is to operate a business that you are not physically present in. And it's one of the greatest tests of a business owner is to remove themselves from the business, or in this case, the aesthetic practice, uh, and make sure that the practice is profitable and can operate independently. Because without those two factors, you don't have a business. You're a solopreneur, you're in the business every day, and you truly don't have any scalability yet. That's not to say, I'm not trying to criticize anyone who's listening to this podcast that isn't quite there yet, but oftentimes um, your ego is not your amigo. And you run your spas, you run your centers, and and sometimes we get in the way of allowing others to become leaders and moving up in 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 the leadership roles, and that allows them to take ownership. So yeah, we built the very first location in Iowa, which is a whole other story.
1: Hold on. Hold on, let me just ask you very quickly. When you know, normally when we speak to clinic owners, being physically absent from the clinic is something that they aspire towards, right? I very often clinic owners will say to us, "Yeah, one day I'd love to spend more time on the lecture circuit. One day I'd love to spend more time with my family, playing golf, you know, whatever it is." But they build up to that point. But for you, you actually flipped that. that. That was a deliberate tactic that you had right from the beginning, not to be physically present.
0: Yeah, and again, if you're a plastic surgeon, you have to be physically present. You, have, you work with your hands, you are a surgeon. If you're a dermatologist, you have to be physically present occasionally. Um, but there are partners that you can have. The, the point is, is that until you have a practice regardless of size and scale, that can operate completely independently on its own, you don't really, in my opinion, this is my opinion, don't want to get hate mail, but you don't have what I oh, consider- up.
1: This is all we want to hear, your opinion, that's fine. <laughs>
0: okay, good.
1: Okay, so you built it that way deliberately. Um, so how does that actually practically work? You know, everyone's very used right now to remote working with COVID, Um, but usually they're talking about the employees, not so much the owners. So how does that work on a practical level for you?
0: So again, when we first started the business, we built all of the positions within the entity, including hiring out those practitioners and providers for our centers. Um, So I was never physically present. I am not a medical doctor. I am not a provider. I am not a licensed provider. So I've never even seen a patient myself. That's not, that's not the goal of a business owner. Now, if you have the licenses, you have even more of an advantage on someone like myself. But, you know, working, working remote, the, the term working remote through this pandemic is, is totally different. Obviously, I wanted to get my hands dirty. I like to go and communicate with our patients. I like to physically go, go on site. And through this pandemic, I was only able to visit twice uh, over the course of that nine months uh, remaining of the year between March and December because of surges. I had planned a trip and then a surge happened in November, so I was unable to even be there. Um, so it was a little bit, it, it was quite difficult, just uh, you know, difficult to really trust your team and you have, you have to develop a tremendous amount of trust that they're gonna do everything that we have planned out. Um, but what it really comes down to is developing a phen- phenomenal team uh, developing trust and relationships between you and your team and allowing your team autonomy. I, t- I talk about this uh, when I speak. I've, I've speaked at several different conferences. I've speaked at the Vegas Cosmetic Surgery Show. I've spoken, I, I'm a regular speaker on faculty at the American Medical Spa Association, the show there that they have, the medical spa show. And I am always emphasizing that you have to give your employees autonomy. Um, you, we often, it just is it kind of a repeat of what I said earlier, but we oftentimes as entrepreneurs wanna hang on tight to things. We wanna hang on tight to our books. We wanna hang on tight to our credit cards. We wanna hang on tight to our vendors. We feel like we make the best decisions and we don't allow other people to start making decisions. And that's a big failure in a, in a, in a larger enterprise. You have to allow others autonomy to succeed and, and take the position. So again, going back to this whole issue working remote, Um, I've always allowed my team members to work with our vendors. We've always, uh, although I'm overseeing things, I've allowed a tremendous amount of autonomy to, uh, with my team, and we've developed a great trust. And our team is phenomenal, it grows, it's a lot of growth and development within your team.
1: So, I mean, what's really interesting from what you're saying is that you're really approaching it, because you're an entrepreneur, you're really um, approaching it with your, you know, as as a businessman, and that's actually something that a lot of medical practitioners um, they kind of struggle to uh, to have their business hat on, but that's how you were approaching it from the start because that's what you are um so let me ask you as an entrepreneur um you said you allow the team a lot of autonomy, but which bits were still important to you to have your hand in like which bits do you at the end of the day feel actually the owner needs to determine this
0: yeah so that that is a really great that's a phenomenal question, and I think that is a question that also is when you're, depending on what status you are in your growth, because when you're initially hiring your team, you obviously need to have your hands in that process. You wanna make sure that the values that, that, that you have written down, whether it's quality results, these are some of the values of Skin Body Soul. These are the things that we care about in terms of the customer experience or the patient experience. These are our values. So when I hire, when we hire any team member, we hire on those values. Um, So the first process that the owner must be engaged. Um, It it, tremendous amount of engagement to the first initial hires. As you grow and as the the team grows, you can start to remove yourself from that process slightly. Um, I think the hardest part for most entrepreneurs to really get to take their hands off is probably the bookkeeping, accounting, and financial decisions. When you give someone else the check writing authority, uh, that is really the, what I think is the pivotal turning point. Uh, when you've allowed your A team member or multiple team members within your entity check writing authority up to, for example, $5,000. When you've given your team members credit lines to spend money, for example, on accounts like Allergan or accounts that you're dealing with at Mertz and you give them, you know, you, you're you allowed to spend up to forty dollars or $50,000 a month on these lines of credit. That's when you really, that's for, for as I believe as an entrepreneur, those are the hardest decisions to really make. Um, but they're decisions that eventually will have to be made because you just don't have enough time uh, in your life to, to do all these things. Um, I like to, a, a great business coach taught me one time that um, poor people have hourly or daily problems. Um, middle-class people have weekly and monthly problems. Wealthy people have yearly problems. And the super wealthy, they have decade problems. Meaning that they have enough capital and resources to survive in the event of mistakes are occurring. They're not so, they're not so concerned about the day-to-day, they're more concerned about the month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter. And as you expand on that, um, the, basically the, what I consider the zeros behind your numbers, you start to gain a little bit of leverage and freedom as you start to get more of those zeros.
1: As the business grows, you essentially are taking a higher and higher level view. That's what you mean. That's Correct.
0: You mean. You're starting to work more on your business instead of in your business, looking at the operations, looking at the different functions of the business and entity and how it, and how it operates on a day-to-day week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter, um, looking at your KPIs. Every business owner needs to know what their key performance indexes are. Um, For example, what your, I mean, the most basic key performance indexes that you should always be monitoring. And most of the time you guys, everyone listening to this probably is monitoring with obsession are for for example a customer experience number one would be like your yelp reviews your google reviews your reviews coming back to your actual practice that's that is a kpi you should always be monitoring that your gross revenue what's your top line gross revenue how much income are you earning in that week that month those are a kpi What's your net revenue, weekly, monthly? That's a KPI. And make sure you well, go what, back. What, to the, what are the
1: other things that are really critical to, if you had to pick three things beyond those two that you already mentioned that, that practice owners must monitor, what would they be?
0: In the aesthetic world, some of the most important things that they should monitor uh, if, in a cash-based practice, an aesthetic business practice, dermatology, plastic surgery, medical spas, I think you're looking your one of your key performance metrics that you always should follow is lead to book or your actual customer acquisition costs. Um, That's something you really have to dial in. Um, You as a marketing expert, should you know this, it's not just about your lead development. That is one part of the entire sales process. You could have a thousand leads you need to convert these leads into actual p- customers. So that's a key performance index in making sure that how many, how many customers am I acquiring, new patients am I acquiring every single week, every single month? How many patients am I losing every single week and every single month? Whether they've termed out their actual treatments, so they've already had their, for example, plastic surgery, they've had their BBL. Um, and they're not coming back anymore. They've, they've, they've accomplished that $8,000 treatment. Maybe I can have them come back for some Botox and touch-ups, but if, what what if they move? Um, that's called your churn rate. And so they should be monitoring that as a key performance index as well. Um, for us, we're always monitoring the number of patients, number of memberships, and number of uh financial numbers broken out a little bit more into detail, which I think everyone should do. Like For example, if uh, aesthetic practice provides any type of cosmetic injections, they should break out those services and understand where the income is coming from as a key performance index. Those are really hypercritical to any aesthetic practice.
1: So you're looking at the numbers because you are coming at it from a very strong business perspective. That the practice owners, who so essentially clinicians, um, should they be doing this themselves? Should they be getting someone else to do this? How can you, how can you really handle this kind of um, analysis when, when it's not really what you do, essentially?
0: So again, you, you mentioned three things that I said other than the first two main things. Um, uh, the, again, your customer service and customer experience is always number one. Monitoring uh, your, your actual Google score and your Yelp score or any reviews coming back you can absolutely do that on your own. When it comes to the financial side, you absolutely should have a professional bookkeeping uh, service or some sort of a professional service handling your books, monitoring your costs of goods sold, monitoring your purchasing behavior and making sure that you're you're in line. There are a tremendous amount of resources out there for that service. Um, And you can also pull, with the newer software out there today, software such as Patient Now. Um, another software, for example, uh, is Zunati. We use MindBody. Um, there's, there's Aesthetic Pro. There's so many different softwares out there that are also point of sale softwares. You can extrapolate this data with one tap of a, of a button.
1: Okay, so before we get too technical, let's take a step back. You obviously have a wide variety of businesses. I know that you have an investment business, a real estate business, a massive, enormous pub. Um, a mini putt golf pub ch- oh, chain. I guess that's the same as the uh, as, as the as the uh, the pub that I just mentioned. So, how did you get into aesthetics in the first place? Was that where you started? H- how did, how did you end up in aesthetics?
0: Yeah. So I got a call from a physician in Las Vegas who wanted to start a laser company. And he was looking for a, uh, basically a, I was the CEO, but in reality, I was just the sales manager. My my job was to become the hired gun to build this sales team. Um, prior to that, I had a business called One Source Media, which was a public relations marketing and media company in Sacramento, California. That's the first company I ever started out of college. Um, during the downturn of 2008, 2009, we were extremely affected. I learned a lot of from those mistakes that i had made thankfully i didn't go bankrupt although the company was pretty much bankrupt at that time um but i got a call from a physician in 2010 who said move to vegas start this company with me it's a great opportunity i uh was basically at wit's end with my own company i was losing money i, I didn't have anything left i literally was strung out on credit to the max so that's how i got my start in the aesthetic world i had no experience and i started selling medical lasers and from that company I uh, was basically that company, I was a sales manager. Then I became a uh, territory developer for another company called Venus Concept. And that company is out of uh, Canada. Um, And I was a a territory manager in Northern California for for that product. And then I, from there, I saw the need for a membership-based medical spa. I was going around to different medical practices throughout the, basically throughout Northern California and I was understanding a little bit about the medical business in terms of Botox and they keep coming back. Um, And the thing about venous freeze that was really important about the venous concept was the patient comes back, there's always touch-ups. It's not a one and done. Whereas with plastic surgery, um, you're doing a breast augmentation, you're probably not seeing that patient for another 10 years. So I saw this need for kind of a membership. I was like, why couldn't it be like a gym where I go in, I get my thing, I come back, I pay a monthly fee. Instead of getting whacked with $1,000 every four months or three months, break it up into payments, it makes a lot more sense for the consumer. So I started Skin Body Soul and it was a membership-based medical spa that was built around collective buying power and breaking up the payments into the granular, allowing a lower cost monthly for the patients and that's really what we created, and and we grew really quickly. Uh, and that's
1: that was that your vision initially. It was all around essentially how to make the payments make sense for people, or was there or did you have uh, were there other parts to your vision of what you wanted to create as well?
0: At first, it was all about delivering a better experience and a lower cost to the patient. I saw physicians. I, I'm not going to name or anything. I'm just, I saw physicians, what I'd consider taking advantage of patients. They didn't have a structure around their pricing. And based on what the physician basically felt that day, they would charge whatever the hell they wanted for whether it was a surgery or whether it was a venous freeze package they just threw it out and they're like, well, this patient, she's a, you know, she's, she spends a ton of money every, she, she could afford $3,000. And I thought that was so, you know, I, I, you don't go out and buy a a car. uh, You know, there's something called MSRP. And I understand that occasionally you'll buy a car at a premium price at a BMW dealership. Maybe three or 4,000 over invoice, but it was never double. I literally would be in a room where one patient would buy one thing at 3,000 and one would buy the exact same thing at 1,500. And it was just because what they were trying to do was charge the most they could to make the most income they could. And it didn't have any, there was, there was, the it, was it was, it was, it
1: was, essentially.
0: Yeah, there was, there's nothing, there was nothing to it. So I thought, this is ridiculous and and i understood with botox there was a per unit um there was a fixed amount there so that was kind of already built in and i and i thought to myself there there's a business here um beyond these um just these sorry about that interruption that's me uh there's a business
1: live recording
0: (laughs) yeah there is, a, there is a business here that, that is a huge opportunity and uh, I, I hope and, you know, I can create something better and, I, and I, that's, what, that's what Skin Body Soul is all about.
1: So, is the, you know, lots of aesthetic clinics do have membership schemes. So, is the difference that you have essentially um, built your marketing around it or is there something unique in the actual structure of the scheme that makes a difference? Or do you need to make a difference? Do you need to make it different? Is it enough just that you that you offer it and maybe your direct competitors don't?
0: This is something I convey every time I speak because memberships is really what made Skimbody Soul so successful and memberships is how I got to where I am today with so with with multiple locations and we had sold off the business back in a large chunk of the business back in 2017. Um, memberships made us and I always communicate. When you build a membership, you have to focus on what the customer wants, what the patient wants and not what you want. Oftentimes you have to give the patient value. And I give an example of two memberships and I, and I put it on the, on the screen and I talk about both memberships. And I say, one membership is a membership where you pay $99 a month and you get $1 off your Botox. And another membership, is where you pay $99 a month, but you get your Botox for $7 and 49 cents. And there's a, you have to look at those and realize what's it make to the, you might be able to sit in a consult room and convince the patient that the $1 off is better for them. But in reality, the best membership is the $7 and 49 cent membership. Now I, I know people are like cringing when they hear that because their margins go to nothing. But if you build your membership, your revenue model off of the memberships where everything else becomes sort of extra, you can give the patient a really great and lower price. You give the patient a lot of value. Memberships must have value. Um, And I wanna emphasize this point one more time because it's so critically important because I know there's a lot of memberships out there. And I know there's a lot of aesthetic practices from dermatology, plastic surgery, and medical spas that build these memberships. But you have to build the membership with value and there's a there's a great company 24 hour fitness uh, or any gym you go to and if you go there one time and this is just just an example you go to the gym one day they'll give you a free five-day pass to use the gym but if after your five days if you want to use the gym one day and if you don't live there by the way you're not even you're not even applicable to the five-day pass but if you want to use the gym one day it's nineteen dollars but if you join the gym It's $24 for a month. That is real value. That's where you say, why would I spend, if I'm gonna come in twice per month, I'm already saving money if I buy the monthly membership. So you have to build the value into your memberships. Otherwise there's no point in building a membership whatsoever.
1: So essentially you offered a membership package that people found more appealing because they got more value out of it. Is 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 that what you tried to do essentially?
0: Correct. We built a membership where we give our patients, um, value and I push our medical reps and our vendors to the limits essentially of trying to get the value to the patient offering in our memberships, unlimited full body laser hair removal, for example, which seems crazy, but it's what it's, it's, you got to give the patients value and the more value you give your patients, the more fanatical these patients become. And you, create really, great, you re- create really great fans and you create lifetime customers that aren't going to go anywhere else because they know you're always giving them the best value.
1: So is the mistake that you think that a lot of clinics make when they do build membership models, I know you said that they're not giving enough value, but is it essentially that they're, to put it bluntly, a little lazy about what they're creating? They're, cre- hey, this sounds good. Let's throw it out there without really thinking about what would actually work and what patients actually want.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and oftentimes, they won't have a service mix or a large enough base to, so, so, you know, to absu- to because you don't want to cut off your largest streams of revenue uh, by forming a membership that just basically makes your largest stream of revenue defunct, right? So, so there is a challenge there. You do need a business model. You have to understand there's multiple services. Um, what are you going to earn your highest revenues off? What are you going to just take as what, what you call like a leave loss? Um, so you understand where your, your, your money is. And that's knowing your numbers, that's knowing your service mix, that's, that's, a, that's a different topic. But um, y- yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, physicians out there that are building memberships that you know they're just not, they're not gonna, you're never gonna, what I'm saying, they will work for the short-term but they'll never be a long-term play, if that makes sense. It really does have to be thought out.
1: There's gotta be financially viable. They've gotta think carefully what to include and also how to, how to show people that it gives them real value. So how do you keep people on this model? Because obviously if it's, there's a lot of value, that's fantastic, but with all membership models, there's always a drop off. So what do you do in order to keep people as, at least staying as members essentially?
0: So our contracts are based on an annual contract. Um, We actually make our members sign a 12 month contract. It's not a month to month contract. To get these lower rates, um, we're amortizing over over the 12 months. So that's the first thing that we do to maintain that that we make sure that our bottom line is maintained. The second thing we do is we offer incentivization to remain on as a member. Generally speaking, every year we raise our prices slightly. When we do that, we offer to our previous members the lower price. And there's a variety of other incentivizations that we do to keep our members as members, but generally speaking, like I said, if you give your patients this value, they're not going anywhere else. They're they're gonna stay with you. They realize the value. They can go shop around. And, and we have patients and members that leave us and in two months, they're right back. <laughs> Uh, they literally tried to shop around. They literally went out and thought they'd find something better and they come right back. So it's about really, again, going back to the, the value equation and making sure that you you provide great value, provide great service. Um, and, and you do that every day in and day out.
1: And I guess last question about the membership model um, is, so it, for you, is it, essentially a loss leader to get people and spend money on other things, or is it really important that the membership model is profitable in and of itself?
0: Everything should be profitable in and of itself, no matter what you, you're not, you're not running a charity, you're running a business. It doesn't matter what service you offer you, you need to make your margins and that's where it gets tricky because disposables are a challenge, uh, cost of goods are a challenge. Injections are a challenge. There's a lot of challenges in our industry. Uh, but, you just, you just gotta think outside the box and, and get creative and, and find it and find the profitability in there.
1: Okay, so we're gonna take a very quick break here, but when we come back, I really wanna talk to you about several things, but also about how you, what, the lessons you've learned from the many other industries that you're involved in and what lessons have you brought back to the, aesthetic, to the aesthetic market and to the way that you run your clinics. So Brandon Robinson, we'll be back with you in one second. Hey, it's Miriam here again. During this break, I have a quick question for you. Could you use some more threadlifts patients? How about some more body sculpting patients? If the answer to either of those questions is yes, then we have two campaigns you can implement right now to generate new inquiries and bookings. The Threadlifts campaign is based on one we've run extremely successfully for three aesthetic clinics in Honolulu, LA and London. So it's tried and tested on two continents, and we've been refining and optimizing it ever since. But don't take my word for it. We've got a case study explaining exactly how the Threadlifts campaign works to bring in new patients and the kind of results it's generated. I've put the link in the show notes. Just head down there right now to grab your copy. And if you'd like to discuss how it can work for your clinic, my email address is in that document as well. We're also running a case study group right now for clinics that want to attract more body sculpting and skin tightening patients. We'll be working with you very closely to generate immediate appointments, both from new leads and from your existing patient list, and to create a body sculpting sales funnel that can bring in more high value appointments long term. To find out more about how it works, email me at miriam at brainstorm digital.co.uk. That's miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk, and I'll send you the details right now. Now let's get back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. I'm here with Brandon Robinson, and he is actually the owner not only of three aesthetic clinics with another one on the way, um, but also of a wide range of other types of businesses. So, Brandon, I wanted to hear from you. What did you learn from running a pub, an investment company, all kinds of different types of businesses that you have brought back to the way that you manage um, and run your aesthetic clinics?
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I fell in love in 2017 with a concept of flat, it's called Flat Stick Pub. And what I loved about it was it did have a unique appeal in that it was an indoor mini golf bar, never seen that before anywhere. Uh, come to find out there is a indoor mini golf bar that had been built in Australia. Um, that's the only other one in the world. Holy moly. And there's actually a couple in London uh, swingers and a few others uh, in the UK, but really in the United States, it hadn't existed. So I was very excited about that. It had some unique principles and I fell in love with it. And so I went for it. I fell in love with the brand. I fell in love with the, the positioning. And when we built Flatstick, the, the main things that, I had, first of all, the running a seven day per week operation versus running a five or six day per week operation is a whole nother animal, something that i had never tackled before. So having a business that's open, the deliveries of products, um, uh, multiple, I mean, we're talking about like with, with the aesthetic world, I'm dealing with four primary vendors in um, in maybe five, um, in the in the restaurant world, I'm dealing with 50 to 100 in any given week. So you know you're sourcing everything from your fruit and your vegetables. Uh, you know there's a, there's a tr- it, to your alcohol to your brewers to your distributors. It is an unbelievable network. Um, so you really have to. It what it taught me. I think that the the lesson it taught me the most of owning a pub. And especially through COVID, which is a whole other ballgame, but owning a pub is, in a, a pub of our magnitude and size—it's a fourteen thousand square foot, five hundred capacity pub attached to an arena that where the Sacramento Kings play—is time management. Um, it's it's really getting your weekly meetings, which is something I never was a. Uh, I, would, I, would be, I would be more random on my communication with my team. Let's just put it that way. I never had a set in stone time where I was like, this is my meeting, this is the time I meet, this is the time we meet with vendors, this is the way the, you know, and, and having a much more um, stratified sc- structure, if you will, where you have meetings and you have your times and, and then they end.
1: Or become organized essentially.
0: Yeah, you really have to be hyper organized. And on a seven-day-a-week schedule, there's a lot of redundancy. So other than time management, the redundancy factor—if something breaks, something goes wrong, someone doesn't show up—there is a there is a program and a, a plat, you know, a process in place to solve that problem. So a lot of those principles we carried over to Skin Body Soul. Uh, a nurse injector calls in sick. How do we deal with that? Well, we've gone as far as hiring our spa directors as nurse injectors so they can be both in the event that something more like that were to happen. So the coverage of positions is something that we've done very creatively at Skin, Body, Soul. But all these can be applied to any business. It doesn't matter the business, but what was really, it is very unique um, in the restaurant industry how tight your time becomes and, and how important your time management is because when those doors swing open the customer doesn't give a flying anything about the fact that you're still down there uh, having a meeting with your team. The customer doesn't care that you're, you know, that Julian called in sick and can't make it today. The customer doesn't care that, that you're still dealing with a vendor that hasn't delivered the lettuce and you don't have lettuce. They don't care about any of those things. They just care about being attended to and making sure that their experience from start to finish is at the highest level possible. And that's what we've we've definitely adopted and brought to Skin Body Soul as well. The second the customer is there, everything else falls off and your focus is 100% on on the customer. And I say customer, what I mean is patient. I know we refer to them as patients um, in in, in our aesthetic practices and that's who they are. But I do do say customer just as a generalization.
1: so when you um, when you implemented this tighter time management, and it sounds like a tighter focus on customer service, or patient service, um, in the aesthetic clinics, did that make a difference? Like, did, did did you actually see a difference in the way that the clinics function, profitability, that kind of thing?
0: Huge difference. Huge difference. Um, the amount of time and the amount of energy that was spent by our corporate team, our corporate executive team, and the amount of time and energy that they now spend communicating with, i, I it, it's the term subordinate, but essentially they're team members, but you would say subordinate because the boss and then you've know, you got your VP and then you've got your um, spa director underneath it is, is immense. I mean, you, you've got a instead of a top to bottom kind of authoritative, it's more of a bottom up type of communication that tends to be a little bit better. So now instead of being on the phone and being more attentive to me whenever my needs are, my team, lower team, you know, the lower team members are now much, she can spend a lot more time with them and making sure that they're attended to, which ultimately means that our patients are more attended to in a better manner. So a hundred percent, I mean a hundred and ten percent. I never would have known the importance of getting your team pumped up on Monday morning to have a great week, to communicating with your team every single week in the aesthetic practice about who's coming in that week, who are your rock stars, who giving shout-outs and, and credits to your team last week for who's who did such a great job and and doing these uh r- these top to bottom kind of, and bottom up calls, or the top to bottom calls and the bottom up communication later through the week, definitely manages uh, time better and creates better profitability and uh, more numbers and, and better customer experience, which just then just turns into more sales.
1: So just beforehand, I mentioned that you had three clinics and one on the way. Um, so you, the, your fourth clinic is opening in a different state and it's opening really while well. we're still in the course of the pandemic. So, how confident are you? You know, it might strike some people as a risky time almost to open another clinic. How did you get to the point where you were really able to say, hey, we're not only going to stay steady during the pandemic, we're actually going to expand? Um, and does that feel a risky to you?
0: That is uh, one of the I, for anyone who's still listening, this is. This is awesome. I'm thankful that you're still listening to this podcast um, uh, after all of that gibberish, but I think it's, it's, um, I think it's really, you know, there's a saying to be contrarian oftentimes makes you outstanding and successful. And when the world collapsed, and it truly did collapse on March 14th, 15th, 16th, in in some other nations throughout the world it collapsed earlier, there was not much I could do. And I looked at my, uh, my, you know, you look at, you think you have a lot of introspection and you're sitting there and you're thinking, what can I do? And I thought, God, if I had 2 million, 3 million, $5 million, I could just start building locations because I knew in the end, I would be stronger. Um, no matter how much debt I took on, no matter how many challenges I took on through this pandemic uh, of in operation or reduced sales, I know that in the end we're going to come out of this stronger. Uh, so a little bit of its hope, um, uh, you know, that we're going to come you knew, out. Stronger.
1: You, you, you say you knew that, but not everyone did know that. So in a way, that was a bit of a leap of faith, um, which I think has been proven true. Um, but but uh, but that but it's an, that was like an inner belief, really.
0: Yeah, honestly, I did not know that there was there was a little bit of faith that just that just said that when we come out the other side of this thing, we're going to emerge stronger, there may be change we will adapt, we're going to adapt the change that's needed. And we found ways to do that. And it was scary. We didn't make those calls to expand our business until around July of 2020 after we'd received a round of PPP, and we knew that we hadn't taken on any more debt. We had seen sales go down, um, but we were able to bridge that, uh, that, that gap where we were closed for two straight months and we had zero income um, and we had expenses going out, uh, but we you were able to bridge that gap.
1: Surge. Yeah, you've probably seen the surge at that point as well of, pay, of returning patients, so that gave you the confidence, I would imagine, that it will be okay.
0: Absolutely. We saw a huge surge of of patients. And we didn't just build. That was the Iowa City location that we built, uh, that we started building in in July, August. Uh, We we got a great deal on a location. And sadly, uh, a, a massage place had gone under, gone out of business. And I bought them in a bankruptcy situation. Um, the Eagan location that we have in Minnesota, that's a separate state that we're part, that again was a bankruptcy. I found it online through a business broker and it was it was a bankruptcy and I, I bought it out of bankruptcy. It was, a, it was a former medical spa with a lot of equipment in it. Um, so there are, uh, there are, there, there were-
1: you're, you're taking, there's a lot of opportunities in a market like this because some businesses unfortunately do not survive, including some aesthetic clinics. There are many that- did not necessarily have the cash to carry them through this and for other reasons they'd put. So what you're saying is that if you do have the cash, there are opportunities in this market to grow through through acquisition possibly.
0: Some, some, I I will say that some acquisition, you're going to need some cash and capital, but there's also a lot of negotiation you can do with the landlords right now that I think is the best. I think today is the greatest opportunity in the history of the world to negotiate with a commercial landlord. I will you you're we built a pub in Lake Tahoe. So we have our location in Sacramento, we built a one and a half million dollar brand new state of the art pub. This one is completely built COVID. So our first pub is in a basement here in Sacramento. The one in Tahoe is actually full outside like indoor outdoor space. Um, It was a space that we had seen before in the past. And of course, COVID put more pressure on the retail market. So I was able to get a better deal with the landlord to build that pub. And I knew for the first six months, the landlord had me covered with a big TI credit to help me get through it. So all I had to do was finish the pub off. Uh, And I knew with hope again, uh, someone called hope, someone called insanity that I knew that in the end we would eventually pull out of this. I didn't know when I actually did, My own internal projections. I knew that we wouldn't be out of this until probably uh, 2021 and that was back in July. I thought it was going to be at least a year. Um, It actually is probably going to linger longer than that for us to get back to 100% in the restaurant industry. But we are well above 100% in the aesthetic industry and in the aesthetic industry. We're already, I mean, we're pumping out the best numbers we've ever pumped out in the history of our company every single month, every single quarter uh, since Q4 of, of, of 20.
1: Okay, so let me ask you very quickly. After all, we're marketers, so I'm very interested in the marketing side of things. Um, how do you, what, what, what marketing really works for you best?
0: Oh, I don't want to give away all my secrets. Um, we have a well, I can very-
1: it if you like. What really doesn't work for you? <laughs> uh,
0: I'll tell you what doesn't work for us. What doesn't work for us is um, any type of print media, uh, I think that it's, I, I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I think that each, each market is different. You have to assess that market. Maybe there is a unique situation in a certain city or county or place somewhere that print marketing is still functional. But in most circumstances, I would say that most your business now sits on the internet as like a piece of real estate and it's a building. And it's the same as a storefront that you would see walking past a storefront. So you have to have an incredible internet presence. Um, And quite frankly, not just your main site needs to be done very well and, and work very well and function very well. And of course you can, throw out buzzwords like search engine optimization and, and all of these different things. And of course, they're all important. They're all very, very important. But it's equally important to advertise on multiple plat- across multiple platforms, have presence across multiple platforms. And when I say multiple platforms, I'm saying Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube. Uh, y- these are all sub sites out there that are arguably the largest websites in the world. You need to be on all of them. Um, that becomes quite challenging,
1: and do you but that's
0: what's successful for us
1: okay, so you' pl- that that's actually one of the pillars of our aesthetic immersion marketing system that you really have to the patient really has to hear from you in a lot of different places, in, yes very frequently in order to build up that trust in order for your messages to be heard enough really to um, for them to absorb your messaging as well. Um, but do you how well do you coordinate between the platforms because that's one mistake we always see is that clinic they are on all these platforms but every platform is doing its own thing at its own time how how important is it for you to coordinate between all of them
0: so thankfully at skin body soul we have a designated team member who is a director of marketing that allows us the opportunity to do all the different platforms and keep everything consistent so when something appears in an email, it also appears on social media. It also appears in our website. So we have a very big fluid consistency across all platforms That's really sending, funny. yeah, consistent message. And, and I insist everybody can make sure that they either hire a third party, like an outside marketing agency, such as yourself, or hiring um you know or having someone that's that's internally dedicated to maintaining that image that message and keeping that message consistent because consistency is is key um and and then again furthermore the engagement that needs to follow up so just because you're putting out a message on facebook or instagram if your customers or your patients start engaging with you you need to engage with them And you need to make sure that you're creating a consistent, um, uh, you know, vocabulary to those to those patients. Your message needs to be solid and consistent across platforms. Your offers need to be solid and consistent across platforms, because oftentimes patients will contact you through multiple forms and almost try to pin themselves or pin yourself against yourself.
1: So, are you very selective about what you promote, or do you have a small, a relatively small range of treatments, or maybe you really focus on your membership? Um, how how picky are you about what you promote, essentially?
0: So, what we like to do, I learned this actually from a big social media uh, a great statement. She was a huge social media specialist on on a, on a panel. And she said that if your message doesn't either educate, um, essentially educate your patients uh, and make sh- and, and engage, there's no point in putting the message out. There's no point to ever put out something political. It it absolutely makes zero sense whatsoever as a business. You you want to put out messaging that is 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 going to educate the patient on on essentially your business model, what you do and what is and and making sure that the communication is about the patient's advantage, not from the perspective of the the clinics. Um, So it's incredibly important to make sure that you're always thinking about, you know, the patient first and making sure that you're thinking about that message uh, from a patient's perspective. How will they think about that message when it comes to what we promote? I mean, we promote everything we promote our memberships, we promote every product and service we have. There's no reason not to um, share with the world what you do and how you do it. Um, So we're always constantly putting out that and we love to have others communicate on our platform. And this is something much newer um, is allowing others to send us who
1: Who do you mean by others.
0: For example, any, um, anyone who it, it, we encourage our patients to post from our website to, I'm, excuse me, post from their own social media and tag us, post about a procedure they're receiving for some sort of, if in some instances, an incentive. Um, in some instances, we just politely ask them, but to get their messages and then put their messages, which is what's called social proof in our industry And providing social proof out there, which is just other people talking about your brand on your platform versus just you talking about your brand on your
1: platform. That's so important. First of all, it creates a real connection with those patients because they become much more invested in you and in your clinic and also the way they're going to talk about it you talked before about being relevant and um and having it re- have having your messages resonate from the patient's point of view when it comes from an actual patient and you're actually using the language because they actually wrote it by definition it's going to resonate with people more i mean part of our um research process is always to look at the way that patients online have spoken about specific treatments so when you're able to use what they're saying and their language it's it's the most powerful thing there is really
0: hundred percent. Couldn't agree more.
1: So let me ask you, um, one last question. Um, actually it's maybe, maybe we'll throw in something afterwards. I don't want to end on a negative, but looking at this whole massive journey that you've had to build this very, very, very successful, um, chain of clinics. Is there one thing that you regret that maybe it was a mistake or something you do differently?
0: Oh my God. There's a hundred mistakes I've made so many mistakes from purchasing and adding the wrong services. Uh, uh, Come on. We've anyone who has built any business, regardless, big or small has made tons of errors. I, uh, the, is there anything, I, I, I,
1: of course, you're right. Of course, there's, everyone makes mistakes the entire time. But if you take that, you know, you when you talked about the, the billionaires have the, the decades-long view, right? If you take the decades-long view on your um, on your clinic business, um, is there a standout mistake, something, it doesn't have to be a mistake, but something you would really do differently now, something that, um, that you did at the time that made sense but actually probably impeded your growth or that you would do really differently now at the, the highest level.
0: I would say that and it's something I say to everyone when I give a talk. This is probably like my favorite saying and I want to say I coined the phrase. It's easy to do things in business and in life. It's difficult to undo things in business and in life. And when I when I say that, I mean signing contracts with Vendors such as medical device reps and purchasing a rep, uh, purchasing a device that's completely useless in two years, or adding a service that wasn't, you didn't think through it, uh, the business side of it first. You maybe got sold on something, or signing a lease on a building that was a bad lease. It was either above market rate or you couldn't anticipate what was going to happen. So, to single out any one thing, I think that. Uh, it's different. It's, I mean, there's so many things, but I think that the big lesson to be learned here is that, you know, you definitely want to think through these things. You don't want to act on impulse. You want to make sure that you're, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's tough because I've been in that situation at the end of a medical show. I've been there just like you. I'm sure physicians are listening right now. And I've been there and I've got that great deal on the table for a great device that does something that's fantastic that, you know, is just great. And I made the purchase and it was not the right decision. And you know, I probably should have just taken a step back and slowed myself down a little bit. So sometimes slowing things down is, is a really great lesson to avoid mistakes, but mistakes will happen. It's just gonna happen.
1: So Brandon, looking to the future, what's coming up that you're really excited about?
0: Oh my gosh, I'm excited about the trillions and trillions of dollars being flushed into the market I am excited about the the major shift in retail space throughout the entire world. Um, Opportunities for smaller entities like uh, Skin Body Soul uh, and Flatstick Pub, my two main brands, to to get more opportunities to move into more Class A real estate. I mean, you've got a lot of brands that aren't going to make it. You've seen Pier 1 imports go. I mean, the number of companies across the world that are going to be affected. I, I don't mean this negatively. I mean, there are companies succeeding very well, but are retracting from the retail space. For example, Disney stores, they're closing Disney. They're, they're closing like, I think, two thirds of all the Disney stores in the world. And those are some of the best locations, retail spaces in the world. So getting- so Right now, the,
1: now it's location, location, location.
0: Yeah. And to think- in the next few years that you could put a different type of business in these old school businesses gets me really, really excited. Like, like you could put a skin body soul right in the main center of a phenomenal retail corridor and now all of a sudden aesthetic medicine, Botox, fillers, lips, laser hair, it becomes retail. And that is gonna be the massive adoption to the public that the public hasn't had where in years past, it was always hidden in physicians offices and medical centers and corporate buildings hidden away. And now it's going to be up front and center. I think that is billions of dollars of opportunity for us in the aesthetic industry. So I'm very, very excited about (laughs) it. Sounds good to me.
1: (laughs) So Brandon, thank you very much. That was extremely interesting. Thank you for being a guest today on how I scaled my aesthetic clinic. It's been a pleasure to have you. People want to get in touch with you. How can they do that?
0: Yeah, they can, they can look at, I mean, they can follow us at at skin body soul spa on Instagram or Facebook. Um, If they want to follow me personally, I don't know why they would, but at Robinson, Brandon, very, very easy on Instagram uh, or, uh, you know, you can find me fairly easily. Otherwise you could also, um, you know, I don't want to really give out my email address or personal phone number, but if you contact me through direct message on those platforms, someone will get back to you, including myself.
1: Fantastic. And of course, I'll put all those details in the show notes. Anyone who's listening to this, um, if, you want, if you want to check out um, Brandon's website or social media presence, just pop down below the podcast and all those details will be there for you to click on. Um, Brandon, thank you very much again for being our guest today. Uh, and everyone else, I will see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. I'm Miriam Shaviv, Director of Brainstorm Digital. Have a great day.